you would, grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12. And, uh, all right, so if you do not have a bulletin with the, with the notes on the back, I would encourage you to do so. Um, I'm going to be referring to some things, throwing some verses up on the screen. Um, I have written on my notes, do not dwell here, keep moving, like three or four different times because I could just like camp out in some of these points for a while and God has something for us. And so you see the, the message title is, will I be a faithful remnant? Now, before we get into the message, I was just talking to, to Greg West just up here and Greg and Lois would just like to just take a few moments and just say thank you to the entire church. If you remember, if those of you who are in the know, um, this time last week, they got a message while they're at church that their house was on fire. They had to get up and leave. And uh, so it, it's pretty much a, a loss for them. And, and so they just want to say thank you for the outpouring of love, the financial donations, the, the, the housing that, they've, that they had for a little season. I think we've got some people that have some donated some clothes. We're going to try to get them to them right after church today. And um, there's some in my truck. So if you dropped it off in my office, it's now in the back of my truck and it needs to go in the back of their vehicle. And uh, so just if you get a chance to just talk to uh, Greg and Lois, do so. They're temporarily down in Chanute now. Um, there's a church down there that's got some extra rooms and what have you. And so there is it Blessed Hope. Is that right? So Blessed Hope Baptist Church down in, in uh, Chanute. Helping them out, out, them out as well down in Chanute. So, uh, uh, but uh, guys, we're, we love you, and we're glad that you're here, and uh, you're our family, and uh, we we love you tremendously. And so, um, keep them in your prayers. They've got a long way to go. Right? Just they're just getting their feet underneath them now, so they can start moving forward with insurance and all that type of stuff. All right. So. Um, our message title is, Will I Be a Faithful Remnant? Will I Be a Faithful Remnant? Now, we're getting ready to start getting into large, large portions of scriptures. I know I've been trying to take full books at a time, and we're just trying to do an overview of the Word of God and making it very practical. Last time, we could only get chapters 1 through 11 in 1 Kings and dealing with uh, King Solomon and when we get to chapters 12 to 22, it is a kingdom in complete disarray. And what you're going to find is you have one guy named Elijah just shows up on the scene, and he's a faithful remnant who's willing to speak truth into governmental authorities. He's willing to speak truth when nobody else wants to hear it. And I think we can glean a lot um, from the life of Elijah and what's going on with Ahab and Jezebel and all those different types of things um, but I, I just want to kind of set the tone and kind of get our minds thinking. I would just say where we live today, we live in a world that is quickly falling apart. Would you all agree with that? That is quickly falling apart. And um, this world's getting more and more perverse as the day goes. Um, every day we're just a little bit more perverse and as more and more anti-Christ and definitely anti-God's people. And I just want to remind you of Genesis chapter 12, verse 3 where God promises to bless those nations that bless the nation of Israel. And it's interesting, that's what I'm paying attention to in this world, is what's going on in Israel, what's going on in the Middle East, 
how are the different nations responding to the nation of Israel? And uh, man, I don't know if you guys caught the news, uh, but there was a pretty big uh, uproar just at our nation's capital yesterday. Some people trying to jump over the fence yesterday. Just pretty crazy. Just nuts. We just live in a messed up world. What do we do? Do we complain about that? Do we whine about that? Do we drink coffee and complain about that? Or do we understand the day and age we live? Understanding the time that we live and understand that when everybody else, it seems like, is no longer serving the Lord or is interested in serving the Lord, will we be a faithful remnant when the Lord returns? Because Revelation chapter 3, he talks about the Laodicean church age, and it's an age of the church that is dying off, man. They're not being successful, but there is a faithful remnant that God pours into. And man, I want to be one of them. And I'm praying that HBC is a church that can say, yes, I, want, I am part of the faithful remnant at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so you have on your, on your notes there, I think three major points. And just how I've typically been approaching this is our three applications of Scripture. No matter where you are in your Bible, there's always three applications of Scripture, the historical, doctrinal, inspirational. And the first point I just want to get us to be thinking about is getting a historical perspective. Getting a historical perspective of what's going on. So when we left off last week, King Solomon is on the throne. He's ruling and reigning over really the then known world. Nations are flowing toward him. And yet he's turned his back on the Lord. He's built numerous temples, these false gods. He's, he's married numerous women. Well, he now dies off the scene. It had been told him that his kingdom was going to be rent in two. And given 10 tribes were going to be given to this guy named Jeroboam. And then his son, Rehoboam, takes over. And so just quickly, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 1. Is everybody there? Say amen. All right, verse 1 says, Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt, that they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake into Rehoboam, saying, all right, so you have on your, you know, on your sheet, you have a setting and foreshadowing a theme and, and villain and a hero. All right, so anytime I watch a movie, I, I pay, listen, I'm a weirdo. So if you ever want to go watch a movie with me, just know I don't like it when you talk and I don't like it when you ask me questions. All right, I, it drives me nuts. Listen, we're watching it together. You have all the information I do. Right? Listen, I, I don't know. But when I watch a movie, I watch the, I watch the camera angles and I watch, the, I watch every, I pay attention to music. I listen to, I just, like, it's all inclusive. That's why I like going to, I just enjoy movie theater. I, I really enjoy that. I don't like matinees because I like to walk out of the movie theater and I want it to be dark. I want the crickets chirping, I, all that. None of that matters. All right, here, here's where I'm going. Every good story Every good story starts off with the setting. I don't care if you're reading a book. I don't care if you're watching a movie, a short story, a podcast. I don't care whatever. It's always going to start off with the setting. And what you find here in the setting of chapter 12 is now the nation of Israel is divided in two. Rehoboam is going to take on two tribes and Jeroboam is going to take on 10. And, and so King Solomon's dead and Rehoboam is now taking the throne and people are trying to decide whether they want to follow Jeroboam or not, or sorry, whether they're wanting to follow Rehoboam or not. So Jeroboam hears this news and he comes up and says, okay, let's see what, what's going on here. And skip over to verse 12. 
And so Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king had appointed and said, come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people roughly and forsook the old man's counsel that they gave him. In other words, Rehoboam says, um, you, you thought serving under my dad was hard. It's going to be really hard serving under me. And everybody kind of looks at each other and goes, not my king. And they walk out. They leave. They follow this guy named Jeroboam, verse 16. So when all Israel saw that the king hearkened not unto them, and the people answered the king saying, what portion have we in David? Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, now see to thine own house, David. So Israel departed unto their tents. And so, boom, the, the kingdom is now rent in two, ripped in two. So Jeroboam takes 10 tribes to the north. They are called the nation of Israel. Rehoboam takes two tribes to the south, and they are called Judah. Everybody with me on that? That's kind of the setting of the story. And uh, now let's, let's move to some foreshadowing, because, man, I, I just love this. When I'm watching a TV show or whatever, they always drop this little hint. Right? There's this little thing like, why is that in the story? Why is that? Because they're foreshadowing. It's going to come. There's going to be some more information down, down the line. You're going to want some of that. So it's, it's some foreshadowing, and that's what we find here. So Jeroboam takes the throne, and we're going to slide up in, in our minds. I just want you to envision the, the 10 northern tribes now. The kingdom is divided. And look with me in, in verse 20, 26. Chapter 12, verse 26. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. So no sooner does he get the throne, no sooner does he rule and reign over these 10 tribes, he's freaking out that everybody's going to bounce on him and go back to Rehoboam. So he's like, well, what, what am I going to do? I don't want them going all the way down there to worship God. And so I'm going to create their own gods for them. Verse, verse 27, he says, if this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord of Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, the king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So he's freaking out about losing his kingdom. Verse 28, so what does he do? His solution is this, whereupon the king took counsel, made two calves of gold and said unto them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Well, isn't that interesting? If you remember when Moses was up on the mountain, back in the wilderness, and everybody's like, we don't know what's become of Moses. What does Aaron do? Hey, give me all your gold. And he forms a golden calf and says, behold your gods, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Jeroboam, lesson, oh, I learned that from Moses, or sorry, from Aaron. I'll do the same thing. So he creates these two golden calves and has the nation of Israel worship then. Verse 29, <coughs> and he set the one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. That's the foreshadowing I want you to get. And what, which one do the people all turn to? They all tend to become to go to Dan. And it becomes a sin to them, it says this in verse 30. Now, just off the, off the side here, you might want to write this down. Governments and, and false religion often come together to control people. You notice that? That's an interesting principle that you're going to find. And there's some foreshadowing that that's going to come. You're, you're going to want to know that. What happens when people want to, when governments want to control people? They get in bed with false religion. And government and false religion comes together and it's always a tactic to control people. And isn't it interesting? These people who are the children of God, right? God's chosen people, as soon as they have another option to worship, they're happy to do that. Isn't that weird? I, I think that's weird. But the people are, they're happy to be controlled. 
Now, the tribe of Dan, because he says he's, he puts one in Bethel, but other he put in Dan. Now, here's the foreshadowing. The tribe of Dan is close to an area called Zidon, or Sidon, and it's known for their idolatry. Check this out. Judges chapter 18, verse 1. So when the nation of Israel has come into the promised land, and they hadn't, the tribe of Dan hadn't found their own, hadn't found their land yet. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites sought them an inheritance to dwell in. For unto that day, all their inheritance had not fallen to them amongst the tribes of Israel. And so they come up with this idea. We need to go find a land. And so they're, they're coming around. They're trying to find the place. They end up in this place called Laish. And there's a guy named Micah there. Micah has his own house of gods. And um, they take him and take his gods and they take his priest. And they, you, if you remember our message in the book of Judges, we talked about that at, at length. He, he takes them and he steals the gods and he steals, they steal the priest and they run to this town called Laish. Now check this out in verse 27. Verse 27 says, And they took the things which Micah had made and the priest which he had and came into Laish and unto a people that were at, at quiet and secure. So they show up in this area that's at peace, and safety. You see that? If you're, if you're a Bible student, you know something about a group of people that claim peace and safety. All right, so they show up at the place that's quiet and secure, and they smote them with the edge of the sword and burnt the city with fire, verse 28, and there was no deliver because it was far from Zidon. I thought you said it was right next to it. It is. But it's, it's, it's let's just say it's like uh, back in the 90s. Let me just take you back. Take you back to 1990s. Back in the day when you were from Iola and you showed up in the city of Chanute and you were of younger age, um, it wasn't long until you were no longer in Chanute because they ran you out of town. Like, it was bad. It was like, it was like the country version of gangs. I don't know what, we thought we were big and bad. So we just rolled through town, and all of a sudden these people just show up and just run you out of town. Then they would show up in Chanute, and we would return the favor. And we did that for four years, and then you grew out of it, right? Well, these guys, this Laish and this Zidon, they are literally side by side, but they had absolutely nothing to do with each other. They hated each other. They couldn't stand each other, and so they just kind of lived separate lives. But the, the Danites show up, and they conquer Laish, and Zidon's not coming to help because they're far from them. Uh, verse 29, And they called the name of the city Dan, after the name of Dan, their father, who was born into Israel. Howbeit, the name of the city was Laish at the first, but catch verse 30. And the children of Dan set up the graven image. Those, those images that they stole from Micah, they set it up there in Dan. And so Dan, the, the tribe of Dan is known for apostasy. The tribe of Dan is known for their wickedness. And it's not by accident that Jeroboam takes up golden calves and places one at Dan and everybody goes to Dan to worship. So there's some foreshadowing for you that's going to come in handy. Now let me give you the theme. The theme of this, and you're going to find this in chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16. We're not going to take time to read that. You can read that on your own, but what you get is this king takes the throne, this king dies. This king takes the throne, this king dies. And it's kind of interweaving Judah and the nation of Israel. And you kind of get an idea of the different kings who are ruling and reigning. Hey, this king got killed and this guy took it over and all this type of stuff. Here's the theme. It traces the kings who are desperate to obtain power and hold on to it. So remember the theme of the Bible. The theme of the Bible is not salvation. The theme of the Bible is not Jesus. The theme of the Bible is not you. The theme of the Bible is the battle for the kingdom, and that is laid out for us in chapters 13 through 16. 
And then I do think it's interesting. All these kings are fighting, and sometimes these kings will get like a verse or two verses. And these guys poured their lives out just to obtain a throne, and God gives them like two verses. I just think that's, I think that's interesting. God gives a little time in his word to something that people are willing to give their lives to. And it's just a struggle for, for this kingdom. Now go to chapter 16. <coughs> because when you get to chapter 16, I want to give you, uh, every story's got a villain, don't they? Every story has got the antagonist, right? It's always got the villain. And the villain here is this guy named Ahab. So God has given all these different kings, and then you get to chapter 16, and he clears off the spot through the end of the book and deals with this guy named Ahab. So Ahab takes the throne. He rules and reigns over those 10 tribes in, in Israel, and he marries a woman named Jezebel. You ever heard that name, Jezebel? What does that give you connotations of? It's never a good thing, right? That's a good name for a cat. Amen? Every cat should be named Jezebel. They're all wicked. They'll all use you, and they will turn their back on you in an instant. That's Jezebel. Jezebel, Jezebel don't, she doesn't love Ahab, and she doesn't love the next king. She loves herself. It's all about her, and she will use authority to do whatever she wants. All right, so if you're a cat lover, I'm, I'm sorry. We're going to pray for you. Verse 30, chapter 16, verse 30. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass, as it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of uh, Ethbaal, king of the, what? The Zidonians. Where was Dan? Right next to Zidon. And he marries this woman named Jezebel, who's named after a false god, and, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Ahab, a good dude or a bad dude? He's a wicked man. He's a horrible dude. He's a, he's a villain. So he marries Jezebel, and Jezebel's the daughter of a Zidonian king, so she's royalty. But more than that, she comes from this area of Zidon, which is known for worshiping Baal. Now, I'm not going to take time to unload all of that, but Baal worship had to do with human sacrifice. Baal worship had to do with eating human sacrifice. Baal worship had to do with a lot of those different things. Uh, you can study that out for yourself. But she now brings Baalism into Israel and leads them into apostasy. By the way, Baal is typically appointed or pictured as part bull, part man. If you ever wanted to look up the, uh, the image of Satan today that they make statues out of, it looks very, very similar, right? All right, so... She brings Baalism to Israel, and then together, Ahab and Jezebel, what do they do? They marry religion with government. They get married, and her form of worship has to do with eating things sacrificed to idols. Check this out, chapter 18. Let's just go there real quick, verse 19. Now, therefore, send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. There's something interesting about the eating at Jezebel's 
table. All right, so that's the villain. Now let's talk about the hero, because the hero of the story you're going to find in chapter 17, verse 1. The hero is a guy named Elijah. Verse 1, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, opposed to your false god Baal, who's just nothing but gold, no, my God liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. So Elijah shows up into Ahab, and Ahab's a wicked dude. Hey, you married Jezebel, you're doing all this type of wicked things. Um, I got news for you. It's not going to rain in your land. It's going to go through a time of drought and a time of famine until I tell you. And what you do, you study the Bible, it's three years that transpire. All right, so that's your historical perspective. We're going to get more of the story here in just a little bit. Let me take you to the second part, doctrinal perspective. What's God teaching? Because God is always teaching you something. Why, is these, why are these verses in the Bible? What is God teaching? Well, there's something that God wants to teach us doctrinally. And the first one is this, that Ahab is a picture of the Antichrist. The Antichrist is coming one day. He will conquer this world. He will rule over the world and he'll be a wicked man. He will be called the man of sin. And what is Ahab? None other than a man of sin. He's only known for being a man of sin. So Ahab is a picture of the Antichrist. Jezebel, next point, is a picture of a religious system. Oh, you got to get this, y'all. Jezebel is a picture of a religious system. In fact, the Bible talks about her way over in Revelation chapter 2 and verses 20 to 22. It says, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee because thou sufferest that woman, Jezebel. Listen, if you've ever said the phrase, that woman, it ain't good. Would you agree with me? That woman? Listen, that woman, Jezebel, this is not a good thing. And we talked about the strange woman last week. You remember that? In Judge, sorry, in, in Proverbs 5 and 6 and Proverbs 7, the strange woman is always, um, is always uh, related to false religion. Well, okay. So thou sufferest that woman, Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess. She ain't one, but she calls herself that, to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication. Fornication with what? False gods. Fornicating against the Lord and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. What are they eating? Human sacrifice. Verse 21, I gave her space to repent of her fornication and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery with her into Interesting phrase. Great tribulation shows up three times in your Bible. First one's in Matthew 24. It's always referred to those last years of the tribulation, those three and a half years of tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. Verse 22. Oh, that was verse 22. That commit adultery with her. Hold on to that. So Jezebel is a picture of false religion. She is a religious system. Now, Elijah, next point. Elijah is a picture of himself. What do you mean he's a picture of himself? Yeah, Elijah's not done. When he, leaves, when he leaves this planet, he is coming again. According to Revelation, he says that that's going to happen. He's one of the two witnesses that shows up in the time of, of tribulation. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 3. Revelation chapter 11, verse 3. He says, and I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy, check this out, a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. Now, if you're... Um, Bible student, you want to understand when God gives you days, He gives you calendars. He's typically coming from a Hebrew or Jewish perspective. And so we are on a solar calendar. They're on a lunar calendar. We're on a 365 day a year, 0.25, 0.25, 0.25, 0.25, 0.25, 0.25, 0.25, 0.25, 0.25, 0.25, 0.25, 0.25, 0.25, 0.25, 0.25, 0.25, 0
calendar, right? And they're on a 360-day calendar. So you do the math. You add all those days up. What do you get? You get three and a half years. Three and a half years, these two witnesses are going to be speaking. They're going to be prophesying in the middle of the tribulation period. And one of those guys is named, he's going to be Elijah. I'll prove that here in just a few moments. The other guy is Moses. Moses and Elijah show up and they prophesy. Now, that's a crazy story. We'll get into more of that a little bit. Now, the story, next point. The story is a picture of the tribulation. This Ahab and Jezebel and the nations and all that type of stuff, it's a picture of the tribulation. Why? Because we know during the tribulation period that the Antichrist himself is going to join himself with false religion. Why? To control the earth's population. Just like Ahab, or just like Joab, sorry, I cannot speak, just like Jeroboam did, Antichrist is going to do the exact same thing. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, Then shall that wicked, that's Satan um, inhabiting the body of the man of sin, the Antichrist, be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power, and signs and lying wonders. Here's going to be this guy who shows up who has amazing abilities to heal, to do signs, and do all these types, types of wonders. All right, it's Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13, verses 14 and 15 says, and, and speaking of the same guy, he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them, look at this, to them that dwell on the earth, we're talking global reign, to them that rule on the earth, that they should make an image of the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. Verse 15, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many would not worship the image of the beast should be, what? Killed. So we know during the tribulation period, there's going to be a man of sin, the Antichrist, who's going to be married to a false religion. He's going to set up a false religion with an image of a beast, and he's going to cause the entire world to worship. But I'm, I'm atheist. I, I don't worship. I'm not religious. You are now. You are now. Okay, well, if you're not going to be, then you're dead. And you see that illustrated for us in Daniel chapter 3. It's a great illustration of that story. Because that's exactly what it's going to look like. And this Antichrist system is one of government. It's one of government, and it's also one of false religion. Now, go to Revelation chapter 17. Hold your spot. Do not lose your spot. Revelation chapter 17. You know what I like about the Revelation? Um, God is revealing truth here. And he does it. He uses a lot of symbolism. But in the midst of the symbolism, he also defines what those symbols are. So, we typically run to books like Revelation. We start reading and we just get confused. We're like, I don't know what that means. Keep reading. He'll tell you what it means. That's what I like about the book of Revelation. So Revelation chapter 17, I understand the ears that we have in here. So I'm going to be very careful in how I say what I'm going to say. Verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. So there, now we're talking about a strange woman. We're talking about a harlot, right? 
Verse 2, with whom the kings of the earth have committed, what's the word? Fornication. Her name is Jezebel. Her name is Mystery Babylon. Her name is this, this false religion, and they're committing fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made to drink, uh, drunk with the wine of her fornication. What are they drinking and eating at her table? Blood. That day is coming. Verse 3. So he carried me away into the spirit, into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet in color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead, check this out, was name written, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots. Abominations of the earth. Stop. Mystery Babylon. That takes you back to Genesis chapter 11 with Nimrod and the Tower of Babel. Okay? Now listen. This is where it says on my notes, don't dwell here. Keep moving. Okay, just know. Nimrod tried to set up a city. He set up a tower. He tried to set up a, a, a place of religion. And he tried to set up a city, a place of commerce, which is what you're going to read about in chapter 18. Chapter 18 is about a city. Chapter 17 is about the tower. It's about the false religion. So they set up this false religion. And what happens? God comes down, confounds the languages, and he sends them out. And what do they do when they get sent out? They take their false religion to the world. And every false religion is referred to, according to Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, is that they are called a strange woman. Translation, a harlot. And Mystery Babylon, every false religion flows out of what you read in Genesis chapter 11. It is the mother of harlots. That's exactly what it is. All right, verse 6. She's blood with the blood with the, uh, sorry, she's drunk with the blood of the saints, blood of the martyrs. And the, John's like, what am I looking at? Look at the explanation. Verse 7, and the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and the beast that carrieth her. The, verse 8, the beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall descend to the bottoms, but this is the Antichrist. Verse 9, and here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman's, woman sitteth. There's only one city known on this world who sits on seven hills. It's the city of Rome. Verse 10, and there are seven kings, five are fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, and even is, is the eighth. You're like, what in the world? That sounds like Dr. Seuss. Was and is not, and yet is? What are you talking about? The Antichrist is going to be killed with a sword. He's going to resurrect from the dead. It's going to be the same exact person that's going to be Satan inhabiting him. And he's going to resurrect. So he was the seventh, but now he's the eighth. Verse 12, verse 12, the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet. So you're not going to find the ten kings because they don't exist yet. They're not some united nations anywhere. These are kingdoms who don't exist yet. Verse, um, verse 13, these have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. What are, what are, what's happening? You have kings and false religion coming together. That's what they're having. Verse 14, these make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and they that are with him are called chosen and, and faithful. 
Now, it said that she said on many waters, verse 15, those waters are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. All right, so I go through all that just to understand what's really happening with the story of Ahab and Jezebel is God is teaching us something that's going to be something yet future. Y'all with me on that? All right, so... All that's happening, you have government and you have false religion coming together in order to control people. Sure enough, that's what's going to happen. That is happening today. Can I get an amen? It is happening today, no doubt about it. And yet, and yet there is still a faithful remnant. There's a guy named Elijah who pops up and says, I got something to say. It isn't going to rain until I say it's going to rain. You have a faithful remnant who comes in and proclaims, thus saith the Lord. I don't care what your false God has to say. I don't care what you're doing over here, but I'm telling you what God is going to do. There's a faithful remnant who's willing to proclaim the truth of God in this lost and fallen world. The the remnant is the two witnesses. That's going to happen during the tribulation. You have Moses and Elijah. I think I have Revelation chapter 11, verse 6. Revelation 11, verse 6 says, these, these are the two witnesses, have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of the prophecy. Sound familiar? Might want to write down chapter 1 Kings 17, verse 1. And have power over waters to turn them to blood. Sound familiar? There was a guy named Moses who did that with Pharaoh. And to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. So these are the two witnesses that are going to show up during the tribulation period. But not only that, it's not just those two. There's another group, the 144,000. You can read about them in Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. The 144,000 says they have their father's name written in 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 their foreheads. Verse six and seven. Verse six, it says, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation, the kindred and tongue and people. God is going to give the 144,000 a gospel that's going to go and preach the world. Uh, this, This message saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. That's 144,000. They are Jewish male virgins, all from the, from the tribes of Israel. Look, Tony, why are you telling me all that? Because it matters, man. It matters. That is the doctrinal implication of Ahab and Jezebel in this whole battle that Elijah is going to have with the prophets of Baal. Go back to 1 Kings chapter 18 now. So Elijah has come to Ahab and says, hey, Ahab is not going to reign until I tell you it is. Well, you can imagine how dry it is now when we haven't had hardly any rain around here. Pretty dry. You got cities down just south of us trying to shut down schools and bathrooms and all kinds of stuff because they're out of water. Imagine a place where they're not able to save water as much as you and I are. There's no, they're not damming up and having massive reservoirs. Well, it hasn't rained in a hot second. And you get to 1 Kings chapter 18 and uh, Elijah and Ahab meet. Now, Ahab's been searching for Elijah because he wants to kill him, because he's blaming, he's blaming Elijah for everything that's going on in the world. So, chapter, chapter 18, verse 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Stop. Art thou he that troubleth Israel? All right, we need to get our third point. We need to get a personal perspective now. Listen, it's cool to talk about the doctrinal stuff. It's cool to talk about all that, how that's going to play out in the end times. All right, I, I love talking about this stuff. But if it's not, as Alan Shelby puts it, if it's not practical, it's not preaching. So I want to be very practical here. 
there's some lessons. I think I've got nine lessons that we're going to address, but the question on the table is, will I be a faithful remnant? Will I be an Elijah? Will I be that Moses? Will I be that 144,000? Will I be a faithful remnant when everything around me seems to be falling apart and nobody seems to be following the Lord? Will I be willing to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord? Will I be able to be willing to do that? Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two, verses 15 to 16. It says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. We live in a perverse nation? We live in a crooked and perverse nation? No, but, no doubt about it. Among whom you may shine as lights in the world. Verse 16, holding forth the word of life. What does a faithful remnant do? Stands bright when it's dark. A faithful remnant holds on to the word of life and proclaims its truth. That's what a faithful remnant does. You don't sit and complain. You don't whine about the world falling apart. You just recognize that it's going to. And you have a job to do. Be faithful. Be faithful. Man, I'm, I'm sick and tired of hearing Christians whine and cry about the world we live in. Yeah, we live in a messed up world. But what are you going to do in the midst of it? Will you be faithful in the midst of it? So you see here in verses 17 and 18 that Ahab blames Elijah for the famine. It says, last part of verse 17, art thou he that troubleth Israel? And, and he said, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and thou hast followed Balaam. Elijah's like, why are you blaming me? You ought to be blaming yourself. All right, so here's lesson one. Lesson one, people tend to focus on the consequences of sin instead of their own sin. People tend to focus on the consequences of sin instead of their own sin. In other words, they're happy to blame others. They're happy to blame and focus on the consequence of it. And Elijah's like, you don't even have a clue. You're trying to blame me. And the issue is, you're the one whose heart turned from the Lord. You're the one who bows to the commandments of God. So when you are interacting with people who do not know Christ, they're not saved. Okay, then know this. They're going to be focused on the consequence of sin instead of their own sin. There's going to be a temptation for them to blame others for their situation instead of what's going on in their own heart. Does that make sense? Y'all, y'all with me on that? You got to get this because it's exactly what the faithful remnant we're going to, if you're going to be faithful and this world's going to fall apart and why is this happening? Well, let's talk about your sin. And they blame you. Well, if you wouldn't stop, start pointing it out all the time, quit judging. Oh, it's not about me. It's about you, right? And that's what people do. They tend to focus on the consequences of sin instead of their own sin. Well, Elijah says, okay, let's have a chat then. I got an idea. Let's have a competition. How about you get all the prophets of Baal and we'll put them over here and I'll, I'll come over here and we'll offer a sacrifice at the same time and see whose God has really got. Verse 19. Now therefore send and gathered to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal 450 and the prophets of the Groves 400 which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together and unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal then, follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. So he's asking them, hey, let's, let's talk about this. You need to decide who's really God. Is Baal going to be God or is God going to be God? Verse 23. And so he says, he says here's, here's the plan. 
Let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood and put no fire under and I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under it. And then we're both gonna call on to God and whichever God brings fire and consumes it, well, that's the God, right? Here's your next lesson. Lesson number two. There can be no true change without a change of God. There can be no true change without a change of God. Why? Because people live according to what they worship. You want to know what you worship? You want to know what your view of God is? Pay attention to your life. You live the way that you believe. And Elijah says, okay, let's have a competition then because we need to discern, we need to decide who is God and who's not God because there can be no true change without a change of God. And he, he says, okay, let's, let's have this competition. All right, let's move, let's move to the next page here. Look at verse 26. Verse 26. So they're down. They want to have this competition. So they get a bullock. Verse 26. And they took the bullock which was given them and they dressed it. And this is just interesting to me. They dressed it called the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. For hours they chant, O Baal, hear us. O Baal, hear us. For hours, man. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. So they take it a step further. They leap upon the altar which was made. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Why, why, why are you talking so loud? Why are you trying to get his attention? Either he's talking or he's, he's pursuing or he's on a journey or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awaked. Elijah's sitting back just going, y'all looking pretty foolish right now. Y'all looking pretty silly. I thought you had this God, this thing that you're worshiping. You're like laying down your lives and being sacrificed to and you're going to holler and you're just going to scream and you're going to chant and you're going to dance. And you're going to do all these things. He's like, I guess your God's asleep. He needs to be woke up. Verse 28. And they cried aloud and look at this, cut themselves with their manner of knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. And no answer. You see that in verse 29. No answer. Next, next lesson. False worship will lead people to do foolish things. Remember what I said? If you want change in your life, if you're tired of living the way that you're living, if you want true change in your life, it's going to take a change of God. Are you worshiping God or are you worshiping a virgin or a false God? And it's interesting to me that when people are engaged in false worship, it leads them to do some foolish things like repetitious prayer. Just saying the same thing over and over and over again. Repetitious chanting or repetitious behavior. You ever been around somebody who they're not necessarily bound down to a false idol, right? They don't have like an idol of gold sitting in their house. But there's something that they're worshiping that's causing them to have repetitious behavior. They have to do the same thing every day at the same time. Repetitious prayer, repetitious behavior, repetitious this, repetitious that. Or how about they were leaving... They were leaping on the altar 
where you have false worship where they're having to do special dances or special movements. You have to do special this or special this, special ceremony to do this to, to get God's attention. That's foolish, isn't it? Then they're cutting themselves. You ever dealt with somebody who's into cutting? Self-harm? Yeah, me too. It's derived from false worship. That's where it's rooted. I just want to feel something. Okay. Blood's gushing out, and they think God's going to be impressed with that. And what does it do? Verse 29, leaves them empty. No answer, no response. Okay, so Elijah says, okay, my turn. Y'all had your fun for hours. Hours and hours and hours. I watched you act like fools. And so now it's my turn. So Elijah builds the altar and he takes the altar and he puts it back together. And he grabs the bullock and he puts, he, he puts wood underneath it and he grabs the bullock and he lays it there and he says, hey, I got an idea. Let's get some water. He says, hey, go get a barrel of water. So they pour a barrel of water. He builds a trench around this thing too. Hey, go get a barrel of water and pour it over. Water's pretty precious. Would you agree? At this time, it hadn't rained in a lot. Of, it hadn't rained in days. And people were like, water? Yeah, your water God, the one that you're not answering, not answering you, he's not helping you out at all. Let's pour water on this. Let's do it a second time. Let's do it a third time. So now it's dripping wet. The trench is now completely full of water. Okay. Look at verse 37. Well, verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and the end of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things unto, at thy word. Hear me, O Israel, hear, or hear, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God that has turned their heart back again. You see that? Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And what did the people do? Verse 39, they saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, the Lord, he is not God, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. Not the Lord is a God, the Lord is God. No, the Lord is the God. All right, lesson four, the goal of a faithful remnant must be for the people to turn to the Lord. That must be it. The goal of the faithful remnant isn't that they turn to you, that, that, that you get the credit. No, God, would you reveal yourself that you are God, that their hearts would turn back to you, and the Lord shows up in a moment. Can you imagine fire coming down from heaven and not just consuming the bullock, but like the whole altar and the water and the dust and the ivy? Gone, though. That'd freak you out, wouldn't it? Freak me out. They all fall flat on their face. The Lord is the God. The Lord is the God. Definite article. There is none other. He is the only God. And when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, when you are sharing the gospel with somebody, as a faithful remnant in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, you have to be willing. Your message must be that they would turn to God with their whole heart. Listen, I've, I've had the opportunity to share the gospel with lots of people. There's a guy I met in London. His, he was from India. And I laid the gospel out to him. He's like, yeah, I'm willing to receive Jesus. Well, that's great. Let's pray, right? No, 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 because I realized 
He wanted to add Jesus to his multiple, multiplicity of gods. I said, no, here's what I'm asking you. I'm asking you to eliminate all your gods, to worship only one, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, oh, I'm not going to do that. Okay, then you don't fully understand what we're trying to accomplish here. These guys say, no, the Lord is the God. The Lord is the God. So Elijah has the prophets of Baal killed. You see that in verse 40. Here's your next point. True repentance puts false religion out of business. You see, when you truly repent, false religion goes out of business. Right? I have decided to follow the Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. That's it. When, when you truly turn to the Lord, you're no longer interested in your false religion. You're no longer interested in your old life. You want to follow the Lord and you put them out of business. Well, Jezebel gets word of it. Verse 19, this is going to go quick, I promise. Jezebel gets word of it. And Jezebel sends a message to Elijah and says, uh, you took my prophets, you took my religion, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to, I'm going to I'm, this time tomorrow, you're a dead man. You see that in verses one and two. He says, verse two, so let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Lesson number six. The world's false system will do whatever it takes to turn off your light. You see, if you're going to be a faithful remnant, know this. Your government and that false religion is going to know your name. That's what it means to be a faithful remnant. And they're going to do everything they can to turn off your light, whether that's persecution or just making it really difficult on you. So Elijah runs. He runs to the wilderness. You see that in verse 4. He hides himself and went a day's journey to the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. I've done my job. I've done my duty. I killed him. I won. Is, just take me. The world's coming down around me. It's, it's, it wants to kill me. Lesson number seven, get this. The faithful remnant will often struggle with frustration and depression. Sound familiar to any anybody? When you are trying to do the word, Lord's work, and you're pouring your guts out, and you're into his word, and you're trying to minister, and you're trying to do Bible studies, and you're trying to make disciples, and you're trying to do all those type of things, there's going to be a time where you're just tired. You're exhausted. And there's going to lead you to frustration and depression. Let me just tell you, that's proof. That's proof that, you're, on the, that you're, you're, you're focused on the mission in some weird, in some weird way. <laughs> it's kind of proof. There's like, yeah, your heart's in the right place. Your mind's in the right place. Yeah, but no one's getting right. I'm tired of this. Why won't anybody listen? And they all want to kill me. No one's like giving me a pat on the back. No, who else is doing this with me? Nobody. Okay, well, now I'm frustrated. Now I'm depressed. Well, welcome to the club. Because Philippians says you're going to be a join, a, a join him in the fellowship of his sufferings. All right, so God gets a hold of him in verse 10. God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you, what are you doing here? Look at the end of verse 10. He says, I, even I, am, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. You don't understand, God. I'm the only one willing to stand up. I'm the only one willing to do something. Verse 14, and God comes to him again the second time. He says, what are you doing here? And he says at the end of verse 14, I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. 
Well, if I'm gone, now what? Who's going to do anything? You need me, Lord. Okay, interesting. Lesson eight. The faithful remnant will often assume that they're the only ones serving the Lord. Faithful remnant, they often assume that they're the only ones. Be careful of that. And I see it in churches. I see it in people. I see it myself sometimes. No one cares about it like I do. No one's doing it the way that I do. That's typically what the answer really is. God says, okay, let's have a chat. Verse 15. The Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel, the king over Assyria, over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of uh, that name, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. God says, you, you start getting the attitude that you're the only one, be prepared. I'm taking you out. Be careful. Be careful. Verse 17. It should come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. And I love this little verse. Verse 18. Yet have I left me 7,000 in Israel all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal and every mouth which hath not kissed him. See, God reminds Elijah that he isn't alone. He reminds Elijah that he is not the only one who's the faithful remnant. There are others. And he's so focused on himself. And he's so focused on his own ministry that he can't see what God is doing in the lives of others. How do you miss 7,000 people? And Elijah doesn't know who they are. Hey, you, hey Elijah, I'm going to take you home. Um, why don't you replace yourself with Elisha? Oh, by the way, I've got 7,000 others who haven't bowed their knee to Baal, which is a picture of the 144,000 in the tribulation. Last point, lesson nine. The work will continue beyond us as we raise up a faithful remnant. You see, how do you know when you're a faithful remnant? It's when the work moves on without you because you've raised up more who are a faithful remnant. That's you disciple and you envision. All God had him do was deal with Elisha. He walks by Elisha, throws his mantle on him. Elisha says, I'm in like Flynn and follows him until it's time for God to take Elijah out and Elisha takes over with the devil's spirit. And these 7,000, they go off and do their own ministry. The work will continue beyond us as we raise up a faithful remnant. That is what it looks like to be a faithful remnant. 
is that you're willing to stand up in the midst of a dark and perverse world and let your light shine by saying, thus saith the Lord. And you do it until God takes you home. But what's going to happen when I'm done? You should have had somebody in the wings following you to go and do the same. And isn't it interesting? Man, we have been going through a lot of ministry transition here, haven't we? If we're not careful, we'll get the attitude. But nobody cares about it like I do. Is the work going to continue? Is the work going to... Let me, let me just tell you. Elijah finds out real quick he ain't needed. God don't need him. God's willing to use him. Be careful. Be careful. But please... It's easy to read a story like that and go, man, I want to be Elijah. And all too often, all too often, we're nothing more than the people who's torn between two gods and waiting for God to show himself strong before we'll actually bow down and kneel. How long halt you between two opinions? Are you going to serve the God of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Are you going to serve this false version of Jesus that you may have concocted? Call him the same thing. Sing the same name. But it's evident in the way you live your life because you live what you believe. Amen? Let's stand together. Be a faithful remnant. And it's going to take some courage. But I will say this. It's very difficult to hold forth the word of life if you aren't in it. Amen? You actually have to know what it says, be able to know how to use your sword. And that's why we take discipleship very, very seriously here. That's what we're trying to do with our munchkins, our little ones that are right over here. We've got people poured into them right now teaching them how to use the sword, the sword of the word of the Lord, so that they are a faithful remnant. Because if we drop the ball, it pretty much ensures that they are gone. What about your spouse? What about your other children? You name it, yourself. Man, I'm tired of whining about the world. Dress what it is, what it is, and let's go shine bright for the Lord. Amen? Lord God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the body of Christ. We have a bunch of people not able to be here because of illness or sickness or traveling, what have you. I want to pray that you will heal them and bring them home. I want to thank you for the spiritual healing that we receive today through your word. Lord, I pray that we will choose to be a faithful remnant just like Elijah, who's willing to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. We ask all this in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.